episode 51 of Mooncast. It's been a while since the last one, um, so apologies for that. Busy life, etc. That makes it harder. Um, but yeah, episode 51. So we've got we, say we, me. I've got um, got a new guest on, which is exciting. I was, um, I was actually genuinely really excited when um, whenever I get someone asking to come on because it's something different. So we've got Paul, who's on on the line with me. So hello, Paul. Hello, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's good to have you. Good to have you on. I was gen generally was really excited when you messaged to say you wanted to do some podcasts because um, well, I'm just got tea in my hand now. Not thinking drink a bit of it. Um, it's always good well, to thank have. Thank you for inviting me. Well, yeah, no, well, thank you for asking. Because um, yeah, and Paul's given me a few topics we can talk about. So hopefully this won't be. Hopefully this will be the first and not the last um, that that Paul's on because I'm always looking for for new things. Um, so today we're going to be talking about essentially different ways of playing Moonstone. We've got a nice list which I'll I'll go through in a moment. But I thought to start us off before we start talking about that, I'd let Paul uh, introduce himself and tell us a bit about how he got into Moonstone, what what else what else he plays and things. Um, so you can get a bit of those, you know, everyone's listening, get a bit of background into who Paul is, um, and then we'll start with our topic. Um, so yeah, go ahead, Paul. So how, how, well, I'll ask you, I suppose, how did you, how did you find Moonstone and how did you get into it? Um, well, I was one of these, um, probably like many of us, that was doing wargaming as a teenager. Um, Warhammer Fantasy Battle was what I, what I did. Um, but stopped uh, shortly after university. So I had been quite into the wargaming and the painting, um, and I kind of restarted painting about 10 years later, uh, just as a kind of nice creative thing to do, really. Um, so I actually moved from the UK to Switzerland about 10 years ago, and and sold most of my models. Um, so I then had to spend a lot of money buying the same models back so I could paint them. Um, and as a result of that, I was just, you know, using different online stores. And I saw around about 2020, I think Goblin Gaming, who were selling Moonstone at about that time. They did a, a video with Tom um, doing an, an introduction to Moonstone. and. I think once I, I saw Doug the flatulent, I thought this is uh, this is for me. Um, initially, as a painted model, you know, but once I got on the website and read the rules and and saw the level of depth and interactivity of the game, very different from rolling a bucket full of dice that I was used to. I thought, well, as a game itself, it seems something I'd really like to do. Um, and one of the reasons I kind of thought that we might be good to talk about um, different ways of playing Moonstone was that this was kind of beginning of COVID lockdown in Switzerland. And so my main people to play with were my family. And, um, and it's a great game to just play with family. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And, and from there, I've just been basically buying everything and <laughs> and playing for the past few years in, in different ways. Cool. But I, I think um I think we can attribute 
a lot of people playing this game down to Doug Bachelin. Um, yeah. He's him, him, a mixture of him and Fancy Hat um, are probably the two. If you ask if you ask people why did you get into Moonstone, most of them will say, Oh yeah, I saw Doug or I saw Fancy Hat and I thought, oh, that looks funny, that looks fun. Um I and think that the they time oh sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on, yeah, go on. I was just gonna say at the time I got into it, it was just after the Neshevolt Kickstarter had been um like the pledge had been finished, but it hadn't been released. So I could see there were all these lovely models on mm. the way. And I think Boris was another, he was like the flag flagship yeah. of the Lesser Vault. And he was another one that I thought he looks really good to Yeah, he was, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was, yeah. When the Lesser Vault was first released, he was definitely one of the ones that was um kind of yeah, like flagship, I suppose. Probably well, like, yeah, he was like the poster boy of, of Lesser Vault. Um kind of like fancy hats, the poster boy of Commonwealth and or humans, or at least was for a long time, and Doug was the, the same for, for goblins. Um, I'm not sure if you could find one for fairies now. Gnomes is probably Mama Gimbal. Um, fairies, possibly Diana, actually. Um, probably still Diana. She's still the, Diana. she's still the queen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, as, as, well, first of all, thank you, thank you for, for sharing that. It's always interesting to hear. You sound like you have exactly the same way of getting into gaming that I did, which is I started with Warhammer Fantasy when I was a sort of teenager, and then grew up and discovered that you know girls exist, <laughs> and stopped for a bit, and then yeah, um, I did I did play Fantasy again for a bit after I got back into it, and then when when Games Workshop killed it off, we which I. At the time, we were really upset about, and then actually, it made us branch out into other games. Um, yeah. It made us play. We then played Guild Ball. We then played Moonstone. We played Bushido. We played other things. So to some extent, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, really, because it made us. Me and my friend Jack, who's my main game or has been main game person for a long time, it made us play something different. So that was quite good, really. I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd, I'd have discovered Moonstone if it hadn't been for the fact that GW had killed off Fantasy. So there you go. They did a lot of things that shot themselves in the foot and sent players elsewhere. Um, yeah, I think me, they, um, yeah. Yeah. Moonstone was kind of my introduction to non Games Workshop games. Um, and, and, and it was great because, I mean, I, as I say, I, I like painting and maybe we'll do another session around painting at some point. But um, I would spend like, weeks and weeks and weeks painting models who all have a fantasy and I'd end up with like the front row of a regiment completed yeah. with five or six models. Yeah. Whereas you a skirmish game like Moonstone, you've done that and you've got your whole troop. And you don't have yeah. to feel guilty that you spent ages painting six models. Yeah, you know, that's it. And they usually last longer as well. Yeah. I, I I still play 40k now. And so I don't I don't I don't spend a long time painting the stuff. Apart from the characters and things, I don't spend a long time painting um because precisely like oh i painted this unit of space means oh, i was going to dead turn one <laughs> but oh so i don't spend a lot of time painting. anyway as you well, said have, yeah, have you found um with moonstone the first time that you play with a character a new character they always die and they're completely rubbish yeah i time. think yeah i that does happen definitely definitely like new new painting model, model syndrome is definitely a thing i think the reason that happens for me in moonstone is because it happens more now 
because because I because I record most of our battle reports and I think when we got about 25 reports in I kind of said right no more unpainted moonstone models in our reports and Jack kind of agreed I and mean, we mainly use my models anyway but we use some of his too and when we both agreed well no more unpainted models on the channel essentially let's make it look a bit more professional um I therefore didn't use models very much that I hadn't painted because we always we were almost always recording so therefore when it came to oh this might just print this model I'll use it it was often my first time using it so kind of like, oh, I'll just charge it up it'll be fine oh I going to die so sometimes it was like usually a bit of an experience in it but they, yeah I think it's definitely a thing in the most recent battle report I did 50 we did yeah we did Voth versus Diana and Rage and both of them so any spoilers anyone hasn't seen it yet both of them die in it <laughs> how is that possible yeah yeah actually maybe Voth didn't die didn't die Diana and Rage died I can't remember um but anyway yeah de but yeah definitely a thing anyway but as you said we, that's, that's our first tangent look um, <laughs> Um, I have, I have um, a bit of a bet with Joe about how many tangents we might go off on. So I'll make a tally, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and Joe got better. Me and Joe got better at tangenting in our, in our, in our podcast now. We don't, we don't tend to go off on as many, but um, yeah, people are definitely used to that now. I, I even snuck in into the, into, the, into the narrative I was writing that um, sort of fourth wall break that we tend to get into some tangents. Um, anyway, yes, as, as Paul alluded to earlier, so this, this, podcast is about different ways of playing um, which you'll probably know because you read the title of the podcast which when you clearly clicked on it but um so we're going to talk about playing with family we're going to talk about tabletop simulator uh, scenarios about playing in person campaigns a bit about solo games about filming battle reports and written reports about tournaments and then we're going to do a sneaky bit about play testing as well um so I think if we start, I'm just I've got that list in front of me, so we may, we may as well do it in that order. Now I sadly don't have a family that yet play play war games. I think that I don't think my wife will ever play war games. I don't think she ever wants to. In spite of that, I she should try Moonstone. It's fine. I'm not going to push it. <laughs> but I do think my children will when they're older. I definitely think my son will when he's he's only four at the moment, but he loves um, he loves playing things like Monopoly already. And board games already so I think he will get into playing tabletop games which I'm really excited about my wife's a bit concerned about <laughs> um, but I think he will so I'm, I'm gonna let you talk about playing with family because I haven't really got any experience playing with family at the moment um, and given that it's the way you got into it I think that'd be a good thing for you to, to, to tell us a bit about how you found playing with family okay so, to you yeah and I noticed a lot of comments on on discord and facebook where people just comment oh i trying to get my wife in in on this or i playing with my kids so i think i'm not alone in it um i remember having a conversation fairly early on when i'd had a few of my first games playing with my son who was five at the time so you're not too far off um and he kept winning and i <laughs> And I think we established that kids, they can just tell instantly if you're bluffing. And um, mm. there's, there's something that they can tell with their parents, probably because they're used to being 
told, oh yes, maybe we'll do this or we'll do this later. They actually know, <laughs> that, you know, yeah. it's it's not actually true. And they, they their senses are finally honed. So um, so I yeah, so I, I played a lot with him at the beginning and my wife, who was very keen on Joanna and Brunhilda, and so I've suffered in Joanna's hands many, many times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really the lovely models um, and that they're all painted, I think, is a real attraction rather than playing with with bits of plastic. It's, it's yeah. easy to, to, to do that and you can have nice terrain and it actually feels like a, a good experience. And then, of course, there's the mechanics um, where you're interacting and it, it, it's a lot of kind of board game mechanics, I think, where you're, you know, there's the poker aspect of the um, bluffing mechanic and the rock, paper, scissors of the um, melee that um, I think people can relate to if they're not used to playing war games. They relate to that much, much more than than buckets of dice. So, yeah, so that's kind of how it started really during lockdown. Um, I kind of was pretty obsessed about the game from day one and we were kind of counting down or I was counting down how long it would take for the, <laughs> the package to arrive in Switzerland and, and sharing the pictures of the models with my son. So we kind of got a lot of excitement built up over that, which of course during COVID lockdown is was actually a real bonus in itself um, to just have something else to, to think about. Um, and then, yeah, and since then, um, yeah, we've been playing quite a lot. I would say one one thing with your family to to be careful what you wish for is um, <laughs> my my son often asks to play it at the most inappropriate of times <laughs> when you have like twenty minutes to uh, before dinner or something, and so you kind of have to find yourself to say, well, yeah, we could play it, but you know, by the time we've set up, it'll be dinner time, you know, and. Yeah. Um, so you find you find you have to actually you're the one that's saying no no we can't really do it now which is <laughs> which is a, a funny way to go when you actually do want to play it but it's it can be frustrating trying to squeeze it in with other things going on so but it was it was really great as I say particularly during COVID lockdown to be able to play with family um, which I don't think there would have been really been many other miniature games that you could easily do that with with particularly with young young kids mm, i think i think um i think there's a lot about moonstone like you say that really can draw particularly young children in like the whimsical side of it i mean five-year-old boys love the idea of a farting dog yeah you know um and all those kind of whimsical names like bound on fancy hat and dog of and and you know, he's now called Vicious Sid, but was called Vicious Midget for a while. Um, you know, those kind of slightly silly names, but actually even, you know, they make adults smile. You know, I've, I've done loads of demos to people before, which actually I realised something we should talk about is demoing. Um, loads of demos before, where whenever I say something, oh yeah, this is called Doug Flatulent, it makes 50-year-old men smile. <laughs> you know, so if you can make someone smile playing a game, then you, you've got the money. So... Um, like I said, I, I think my I think I think my kids will will and, and what I think will happen for me in my family is I think that when Rowan, who's my son, I think he's more likely to want to play. I think my daughter will, will want to do the painting. 
she's very creative and loves painting and drawing and things. I think she will want to paint miniatures. And she often asks me, Daddy, have you got any spare miniatures for me to paint? Um, Rowan likes painting, but not as much as, as, as Lila, my daughter. But I think he will really like the game. He's like obsessed with counting and things. He, he's a four-year-old boy, hasn't gone to school yet. He can read already because um, he just loves the kind of, uh, I love looking for patterns and things. He's got a very kind of methodical brain. Um, and I think he'll he'll love doing things like counting yards. Like he'll, he'll he'll look at his cards and he'll he'll be able to think right. Well, I've got no pinks, and you're calling a pink, so it probably is a pink. He'll be able to do that logic, I think, or he'll learn that logic quite quickly. And I think he'll really like that side of it as well as he'll also find because he still finds spark jokes funny. So he'll also like using Doug Doug, Doug Bachelor and things like that. Um, and I think that when my children start wanting to play, I'll then be able to get my wife to start playing. Um, yeah. And I think she'd like it because I, 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 I've yet to find someone who doesn't enjoy playing those things. Um, like I've demoed this game to oh, hundreds of people now. I've been to Salute, I think, three times, um, Games Expo, several other conventions, and done demo days and things. I've probably demoed it to 100 people. I've never had someone walk away and say, Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really enjoyable game. Speaking of um, the, the reading aspect, one of the things that really surprised me about my son, um, this was when he was, was five and so still wasn't able to read. I would I expected that he'd, he'd get the hang of the arcane bit, but what I didn't expect was he'd get the hang of the melee, because of course you've mm. got to read all the high guard, thrust, whatever. Yeah. He, I don't think he could read the words, but he followed the visual clues. Like there's the, the color of the cards is whether it's defensive yeah. or not. And he memorized what the card looked like. Yeah. So he instantly knew, okay, this is a high guard. This is a thrust. This is a sweeping cut, um, which quite surprised me at that age. But I think mm. because the cards are designed in that way, it kind of, it really helps. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think sometimes you forget. Like, I'm I'm a primary school teacher, so I know what children like. But um, you forget how sometimes how quickly children can absorb new information um, and retain it. Like yeah. it's bonkers. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward to playing games with my kids, and I think they will soon. Like I play board games with them. And they like it, and I know it's just that's just the next step is 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 wargaming, and I think that I think Moonstone is what I'd like to get them into first. One because it means I've got to buy any models for them, um, and I think it's just slightly more wholesome than like, like the other games I play are like 40k, which is in this brutal dystopian future. <laughs> I don't really want to expose my five and six year old to yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather go, look, look, there's a farting dog. Um, <laughs> so, I, I've um, never been that keen on guns and particularly guns in games. So, yeah, it, it would feel odd, I think, to do it. Um, one of the things that I, it's maybe less of an issue now, but again, if it's a kind of a young child, I never forget this one scenario where he had Belladonna. And I killed his belladonna, and he was very upset about it. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's belladonna. I've got to kill belladonna before she does all kinds of nasty stuff to me. But, yeah. you know, when they're that age, they can take it very seriously as well. So mm. you have you have to play it 
you have to play it for the shared experience. I mean, you're not yeah. you're not playing to win in that scenario. No, no, you're playing for the fun of playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh no, no. When, when, when I, it's difficult. It's, it's always finding that compromise, isn't it, for kids? Like, because I play games with my son and daughter now, and it's like, yeah, I want you to enjoy this, but I'm not always going to let you win. Um, sometimes they win without me letting them win, and they just win anyway. Um, but sometimes it's like, okay, you're definitely losing. And I might give you a bit here to help, but I'm not. Sometimes they've, they've got to learn to lose, haven't they? So, um, yeah. my son is really bad at losing. So, um, my concern with him at the moment is that he's not only bad at losing; he tends to throw things when he gets when he loses. So it's like if he's if he loses a model, I'm going to grab it pretty quickly so he doesn't lob it across the room. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You you want to get past that before you introduce him to Moonstone. I'm not sure that yeah. survived too well. We, no. we yeah, I, I, I don't think he'd throw. I was going to say all these all these uh, people listening who don't have kids are going to go. My God, but speaking about kids, fast forward. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's quite a lot of people that do have kids that play. I think this is I think this is a slightly more um, family orientated game. I mean, I, I see like I said when I think when because I went to salute this year and did demoing and that's a really busy day demoing. It's from ten till four. It was just solid. So many times I was demoing to dad and son and mum and son and daughter and dad and like to families i demoed to probably more families than non-families i reckon look gen- generally speaking they were older children sort of sort of and you know in the in the dub- double digits age but yeah it was demoing to a lot of children and, and their parents um and a lot of the time it, the children were saying dad can we mum dad can, can we get this this is really good fun and then they really enjoyed beating their parents and um, as I'm sure a lot of children they, they, they enjoy winning against their parents um, and actually this is a, such an accessible game that's even if you don't win the game you can find small victories within the game can't you like you beat them around the melee right then they feel that that surge of excitement when they won something um, yeah. cool is there anything else you want to add about playing with family apart from yeah from what we, from what we said I can't think of anything else to add so Cool. Well, we'll move on to the next one. Now, I haven't got a huge amount of experience with this one, which is Tabletop Simulator. Um, I've played using it once, I think. And I've, like, again, like during COVID, it was a big thing during COVID, wasn't it? That's when it really came to its own. Um, I did watch Battleport, like a live streaming one with with Paolo, I think it was. Um, but have you, have you got more experience of using it? Yeah, at the moment, it's really the main way that I play it. Um, as I mentioned, I'm in Switzerland, I'm in Geneva. There's not a huge, um, but there's not really any Moonstone community here. The main gaming shop is very heavily Games Workshop. Um, and um, there is um, about an hour away in Lausanne, which is the next kind of town along the lake. Um, there were a couple of shops that stopped Moonstone. There's a nice community there, but it's still a little bit far away from me. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, during COVID, it really took off. And I um, was lucky enough to be, well, and many people, I think, were um, had Paolo show them the ropes to mm. Tabletop Simulator. He's done an amazing job. Um, in Well, I think there was already an app that had been developed 
beforehand and I think he just really refined it to make it super yeah I think that is the case I think someone else created it but he yeah he really to my knowledge and I, I apologize I got this wrong for anyone who was a part of it but yeah he he made it what it was for want of a better way but he wasn't the original creator but he he took it on and and really improved it I think yeah yeah, I think I had done the, I had used the initial, it's a mod, isn't it? I actually get my terminology right, not not app. I'd used yeah. the initial mod, and it, I think it had the 3D models at the time. Uh, and it was it was fine. I, I think I, my computer couldn't quite handle it. Um, but one of the things that I think Paolo did was he stripped back the 3D models to be the, the use the, like the artwork. Okay. The, the paper standees kind of thing, as I, as yeah. I think of them, yeah. And that just, I think, made it run a lot smoother from what I understand. Um, and obviously it makes it a lot easier to add the new characters when they're, when they're released. So yeah, so he did a, a lot of work both in, in doing the mod and in just showing people the ropes. Um, and so I was one of those and, and we really, have been playing weekly ever since for the past three years. Um, so it could be that the, the, one, the one you listened to could have been Paolo against me, who knows? I have been recorded. Uh, Quite possibly, yeah. Quite possibly. It, was a live, it was a live stream I watched. Um, okay. I remember just being, I remember being really excited by the cannons firing the dice. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something to, to recognize as a huge, uh, a huge novelty value of using the TTS, yeah. And yeah. there have been many um, conversations about how does that affect the Moonstone spread compared to dropping them in the middle of the table by hand in real life. But I don't know. I think <laughs> it, it doesn't matter that much. I think people people can put a lot of um, a lot of thought, really, almost too much thought sometimes into the into the Moonstone spread when they drop it. And actually, unless you're playing in a tournament. Which we'll get to later. Fair enough. You might want to dispute it. Otherwise, have some fun with some weird spreads and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. You know, I play somewhere it seems to be very one-sided, and actually, what you find is is that the opponent who seems to have more on their side grabs. What it means is all their energy in turn one is used grabbing moonstones, and the other side just charges at the board, yeah. and suddenly they're stuck with these moonstones. And you can just not, I've done it before where I've, I've won a game even though they they've got five moonstones by the beginning of turn two. Because they spent all their energy doing that moonstone, I spent all mine killing them. Yeah, so. it's very hard to do the grab and run, um, even with a with an unusual moonstone spread. I think I've had one person do it against me very successfully on TTS with pirates, but they're kind of designed to do grab. They're, and run. they're designed to grab and run. Yeah, which but literally that's part of the place. I literally pirates, yeah. isn't it? They grab and run away. Um, fair, fairies can do it because they have so much energy. Yeah. So if they can pick up enough in turn one, then they can they can leg it so far because they can use all their energy to step and suddenly they they move like eight inches before you realised yeah. it. But it is quite hard. It's quite hard. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess to just give a bit of a lowdown for the people who aren't familiar with the tabletop simulator, maybe I should just talk a bit about it so it's it's a mod so you, you kind of it's tabletop simulator is a is a 
software package that you buy. I think I got it from Steam, but I think you can possibly get it from other places. And then a lot of the communities do mods on it, which effectively adapt it so that you can play all kinds of tabletop games um, on it. I'm saying all this because there was a question on it, I think, today. So um, so it may not be familiar to everyone. And um, yeah, particularly during COVID, I think that was the main way that a lot of these gaming companies did their playtesting and not a lot of mm. communities carried on playing because you couldn't do these in-person games. Um, and so I think what, what's been set up is you have a standard table. There is a bunch of maps that you can choose and they just kind of auto-generate. Um, all of the cards are all there in the paper standees. So you basically just grab your models. And I think one of the innovations that Paolo did was um, when you pick up a model with your cursor and move it, it kind of it automatically measures how far you're moving. Um, so you don't have to, like in an in-person game, you'd maybe be doing it with a little um, measure and then you'd put your finger where, you know, whereabouts the yeah. model's supposed to go and do it. But of course, that's really hard to do on a computer. Um, so things like that, just there are various things like that that just make it super easy to play. Um, and yeah, and I've been, as I say, been playing it most weeks um, for the past three years. Um, the community, I think, has the number of people doing it has reduced in the past year or so, I think, as people have been going back to doing more in-person games, which which I completely understand. I think, you know, I would if I could as well, because I just love using the models. Um, but there is, yeah, I'm, st I'm still playing with Paolo. I'm not sure if he's still doing. He used to do a Tuesday evening kind of come as you are type session where you could kind of come along and either join a game or watch a game. But it could be that that stopped now because there aren't so many people playing. Um, but yeah. What I what I'm hoping to do, I put a couple of messages out a few days ago, is organise a tournament um, later in the year on the on the online on the TTS. Um, we did one. Someone else organised one um, late last year, which was really nice. Um, and we basically did one game. We had a group of people, and we basically had to do one game a week, um, but to, to to do each round, and that worked really well. I can see it, that that could work quite well with like a campaign as well, couldn't it? And we'll get to campaigns later, but as a campaign takes place over several weeks, you could do the same thing. You could play a campaign with people all over the world, but make it work. That sounds quite fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to add about about that? I said it's not something I know as much about, so I can't I can't very contrary to much to it but does it have like does he keep it updated with all the updates and things it's like it the rasted cards yeah. and stuff really cool yeah. uh, new models and things lovely yeah. stuff um, and i guess things like if you wanted to play the scenarios on it you, you could um does it have the um scenario cards you know things like diana and rage and drunk fritz and things like that i don't think so. I might be mistalking, but I don't think I've seen them. No. Um, it doesn't matter too much in the extent that as long as you've got 
that card on you, you can just look at it anyway. But um, you could just set up the board to play that scenario. And um, I'm assuming you could do something like that. Can you move terrain around yourself? Does it auto generate and it stays there? Or can you move around afterwards? You, I think you can unlock it and move things around. Again, I've never tried. Um, but um, I'm, I think you can do that. I think I've done it by accident a couple of times <laughs> as well. But no, for the cards, I mean, what I generally do when I'm playing as well is is I have I get the physical cards out so that I can look at them. It's just a lot easier to have them to hand than yeah. you have to kind of try and peer at them on a screen and zoom in and zoom out and find them and so on. So that so yeah, if you were if you had the drunk fix card or the Diana Range card, you could look at it in the book um, easily oh, enough. Yeah, um, yeah. and. Um, Oh, there should be something else I wanted to say, but it's completely passed me by now. So, so no. That's all right. Okay, well, we'll move on to the next bit then. Right, so what I think we'll do is we'll I'm going to come back. We'll come back to scenarios. I think if we stick to if we talk about in-person games and solo games next, and then the scenarios we'll do after that kind of works because tabletop simulator is the opposite of an in-person game, I guess. Yeah. We'll talk about that now. Um, so by in-person games, we obviously mean just playing over a table with someone. Um, so I, I'll talk about uh, myself in this a bit first. So I mainly mainly play now with two other people, Jack and and Phil, who anyone who follows the the YouTube channel Yoldy Battle Apps will will recognise those names and those voices. Um, I did used to play with a guy called Ryan quite a lot. He's after during COVID, he was very anxious about COVID, and he didn't want to didn't want to come to my house to play at all. So, it's, which is fine. Like even when the restrictions were were reduced, he didn't feel comfortable. So, I haven't really managed to get back to him. Um, but it's I think it's interesting playing. One of the things I find interesting about playing in person, which I don't know how much you get on the tabletop simulator or not, is like when me and Jack play, particularly because we played so many games together. Me and Jack have probably played over 200 games in Moonstone in the time we've been playing it it's almost impossible for us to 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 bluff with any kind of like facial expression or double that can't happen um we do both bluff sometimes we do do it but we I, if if i think he's bluffing or not i can i can't do it by looking at his face i can't do it by like he might look at his card and now he, but actually he's pretended to look at the catastrophe on his card and now that isn't actually doing it. He's double bluffing or triple bluffing, whatever you call it. I think that's an interesting thing. Like when you first start playing with someone new, particularly new, brand new players to the game, they can accidentally give away quite a lot about their cards when they're playing. And you can kind of, it's kind of a new problem. Um, but yeah, when I play with, with Jack, we, like if I'm going to call a bluff or not, I can only really do it on the on the maths of the cards now, um, uh, which is interesting because he does the same thing to some extent with things like if he's healing someone and there's no one else left to heal, you'd always call a bluff because there's no reason why you wouldn't do it. Um, but we know those tricks so well that we can never fool each other, um, which means that occasionally when one of us is bluffing and gets caught it's a real shock because we usually know pretty well either way um it's, it's kind of interesting how, how that's kind of changed our way of playing a little bit 
not so much with Phil. I haven't played as many games with Phil. So when I play with him, he'll we'll both kind of, I guess, try and be a little bit sneakier with it. Um, and it kind of works or doesn't work sometimes. Um, but it, it's kind of, I, I, maybe I'm talking rubbish and Jack bluffs all the time and I don't recognise it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possible. Um, we've both developed pretty good poker faces at this point, so um, it's hard to say. But um, what I think is really fun about when, particularly when me and Jack play, but also to some extent with Phil now, is it, it's so even. Like when me and Jack play, it's it's like chess. It's so even. Um, you know, if one of us wins, it's it's almost always really close. It's always quite a nail-biting game, which is really fun. Um, sometimes we'll play like random weird scenarios I've come up with or something silly to to bring back that ridiculousness of the game. Um, but generally, it's a very close affair. Um, but, you know, I've played, those are my main two. I've also played against Tom a few times. Um, pretty much whenever me and Tom do meet up at all, we usually try and play a game. Um, and uh, I've only played against Joe once, actually, um, and that was at a tournament that was when I met him. He beat me. Um, but uh, I have played a fair few other in-person games, like at tournaments and things. And it's always, it's interesting. I think it's a very different experience playing with somebody you've never met to playing with somebody you know quite well, isn't it? Like I can predict, I can often predict what Jack's probably going to do two or three moves ahead and he can do the same for me. But when it's someone new, you're like, oh, really? You've done that. <laughs> and you think, okay. Then, then, then I've got to think, well, are you an experienced gamer who really knows what they're doing and you've got some plan here? Or have you just done something really stupid and you didn't realise it? <laughs> um, That's how they win. That's how they win. It yeah. a completely random move that you're just not anticipating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'll often sort of, I can usually, I'm picking our two player game, not so much three and four player, because then it's all just random shenanigans. But in a, in a two player game, I can usually predict what could happen fairly fairly well you know i could say well if they activate this person they're probably going to do this after this person they're probably going to do this and this then they're going to do this thing i can usually predict it fairly far ahead um but when they don't do it you're like really you gone with that one <laughs> um that can make for quite an interesting one. i do like playing new people quite a lot actually um because it kind of brings back that initial excitement of playing the game with someone new um I know you said that you don't get much, for, apart from with family, you don't get much as much of a chance to play with different people in person. Um, yeah, I, I have one uh, one main player that I play with um, maybe every couple of months. Um, he, he quite likes Moonstone, but we also play other games um, just to, you know, spice things up a bit because he, he likes a bit more variety. Um, but he is um, extremely keen. We'll talk a bit about battle reports later. But he is extremely keen on Dim and Dimmer, um, and some of the battle reports that I've written up are games with him. And he always gets a, a three, at least two out of the four turns with Dim and Dimmer <laughs> with the energy call. So he obviously each time that happens, he's much, he's more and more keen on on Dim and Dimmer. But yeah, I think I'm the same as you. I mean. 
in terms of the the bluffing and although I'm a terrible liar um, and so actually playing on tabletop simulator or when we had to use the masks um, was a huge bonus to me um, yeah so then playing people where you um yeah where they can read you is yeah I'm honestly awful at that sort of things and it's it's compounded by the fact that I mainly play fairies. That's my main troop that I like to play with and I'm most successful with. But what I found is that you've got with you've got characters like um, Freya and Silvertongue where inherently the bluffing mechanic is just completely thrown yeah. wild. You can kind of get away with it because people are probably going to call a bluff anyway just because of that and abilities the trickster ability so if you've got a couple of blues or a couple of pinks you're going to get another go at it you don't need to get away with a bluff um so it, it kind of helps actually um, you wouldn't think it would for fairies being a terrible liar but i find it actually does <laughs> quite help um yeah, yeah. You, you play fairies quite a lot or I did. I used fairies were fairies were my main were my main one when we started, and I kind of branched out since then. I kind of I kind of play various different ones now. Um, I've been through a huge. Basically, at the beginning of this year, I kind of promised myself I wouldn't paint anything else until I painted all my moonstone, because I had half of my moonstone collection wasn't painted, and I wasn't using them because I wasn't um, recording. I mean, when we played some games without recording, but um so i think since the beginning of this year it wasn't so much a news resolution it was more kind of end of february i kind of thought right now i need to get these moonstone painted i've got two models left to paint and bear in mind that i own every single moonstone model ever released including all the limited edition ones yeah um so there were a lot of models to paint i think i had about 40 or so models to paint um that's good work. so i ended up, end up using a lot of those new ones because I wanted to use my new models I painted. So I've therefore lost quite a lot. They keep dying, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier. Um, so I did use to play fairies a lot, but I've now branched out a lot more. I do, I do play more Leshevar. I think once, when Brother Daniel was released and I had obviously a real connection with that model, I wanted to use him quite a lot and I did. Um, and then, um, so I used Leshevar a fair bit um but i also quite like pirates as well um and i've used dominion humans a bit more recently i've used everything at some point um and probably still am if i wanted to choose my best troop that i thought i'm really confident using this i know exactly what to do it probably would still be traditional fairies um like in the tournaments i've played which we'll get to later i've played fairies in all of them and um I've done fairly well in all those tournaments with fairies, so because um, I know I know what to do with them. So when there's that kind of high pressure situation, I know what to do fairly quickly. Um, I don't I don't want to be reading cards and thinking about what to do when there's a time limit on. Um, you go back to your but, natural um, style of play. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, um, or goblins as well, actually. Um, I, I had a similar thing rule with you on the painted models i think from fairly early on um 
once I'd got an initial troop, I basically said, I'm not going to play with a model until it's painted. And it was a really nice way of obviously motivating myself to do the painting, but also introducing the new models kind of one by one. So mm. you, you kind of appreciate each, yeah, each model individually rather than you've got, you've got bought a couple of new boxes you're going to use them all you don't you don't get as much from it so it was actually really nice yeah to, definitely to do that it's also quite a good way of because like i say sometimes if you're not, not careful you'll buy like six new models paint them all and then just play them and therefore they're all new to you in terms of in playing well i like doing the way the way i've done it when i painted like a few models and put a couple of them in is I've then learned ways to mix them with my older models, um, which in Moonstone is really important because the newer models aren't better on the on the tabletop. You know, Fancy Hat is still pretty much the best out and out many character there is, and he's one of the, literally the one of the first models ever made. Um, you know, and he's never um, been an artist either. I, I, I don't think he ever has. No, I don't. I don't well, I always have a card on me, so I can check if he's got a version two card. I don't think he has. Um, I was looking at, I think, him and Fire Spitter, and maybe even Doug the other day, and I was like, these are these are the models from the beginning, and they they've yeah, Fancy Hat, Hat and uh, the Fire Spitter are the first two models ever made because before Tom did the original Kickstarter, which released kind of the game, he did a Kickstarter which was just the Fancy Hat and Fire Spitter model. Which I was really sad I didn't back because that meant that that's the one, the only thing in Moonstone I actually missed. And uh -huh. didn't back was, was those two things. I think Doug, I feel like I think that Doug has had a Pivato at some point. Yeah, Doug's got, Doug's got a version two. So he's at some point, I can't remember what changed about it. At some point, he's had something added. I don't think he used to have a shield. Um, but yeah, um, like I said, yeah, all those I've got got my cards. I've got now all those original models. Um, like I'm looking at the fairies, like Tito is one of the original ones. She's never been errated. Um, Diana, the original Diana, Diana has never changed. Um, and some of the other fairies have, like Butterfingers has, and Freya has, and Wasp has. Fence has actually had three iterations. Um, Silver Tongues had two, um, but it's but what I think is interesting is is that they've I mean, I mean vicious vicious Sid, his only change is that he's changed from vicious midget to vicious Sid, and that was um, that was done as a kind of uh, well, that was done because we we were worried that we were offending people, which I think was fair. Um, but some some of these some of these version twos are incredibly minor changes yeah, i remember um, caverners like just add a row keyword i think that was that was yeah the things like that yeah some of them are adding yeah. keywords yeah exactly um but i think with doug i don't think he was a soldier to start with um, maybe that's a change yeah like, it was really so some of them were really really simple minor changes this but they made them burn too so um that but the fire smith has never had a change um those things i've got the fire for the card here like looks like an old one um but anyway yeah um yeah i think that's kind of everything to talk about in-person games i mean it's, it's, you know what the only thing i would add is just is just how fun it is 
really. So if you, like if you don't take it seriously, like if you if you're really competitive, if you're a really competitive player, and you care mo- mainly about winning, then fine. But make that clear with your opponent that you you really like you want to make this a competitive game. Um, like sometimes, like when I'm playing with Dak and Phil, I'll say, oh, I, I really fancy doing a really like a tournament game, essentially. I'll say to them, like, well, well, you you pick whatever troop you want, I'll pick what. And we even sometimes do drafting where we have we start off with nine and bring in our five. Most of the time I'm like, yeah, let's just let's just do some mental stuff and see what, see what happens. And let's just do something ridiculous and we'll put some things together and have, and have a laugh. Um, usually go with that one because normally I prefer to have a laugh with Moonstone than, than be too competitive. Um, um, because it's, sometimes it's just like, you know, you're playing a game and you think, oh, this is probably going to go badly, but I'm going to do this funny thing anyway because it's just going to be funny. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so the next one I think will probably be will probably be quite a short thing to talk about because um, I don't have any experience of this. And we were talking before we started recording this. And I don't think this is a quite a tricky one, which is how to play the game solo. Um, which I'm I've yet to find a way of doing that. Like during COVID, I didn't know how to, I couldn't work out how to play the game solo. I played some solo other games, but if you had any success with it, would you say? Um. I did it a few times during COVID, um, really also partly to just get practice of using some of the new models and wanted to kind of, I painted them and wanted to get them out um, and, you know, didn't have a in-person game organised or wasn't going to have one soon. Um, I wrote some solo rules that um, that I posted, I think, in Facebook, but there's also a a kind of a fan website that I created that's got it on there. Um, maybe I'll, I'll share the link at some point. Um, and the, but they were really around um, just kind of the main mechanics where you kind of need a bit of prompt, a bit of a prop to play it solo. So I mean, obviously you. I, I'm not doing full, I wasn't doing full AI. It was like, I play as this troop or I play as this troop. And when I'm using this model, I'm thinking of what would be the best thing to do for this model. Um, but that kind of falls down when you come to the melee or the arcane mechanics. Um, in a lot of other games, you're rolling a dice, you just roll a dice. But here you've kind of got that interaction that you just can't do yourself. No. So what I wrote down, um, I've done two versions of it now. The first one was very, very complex, um, but it was really around how to um, make a decision as the other troop around whether you call a bluff or which melee card you play and just a kind of like a flow diagram of how you do it. As I say, it, it was very complex. Um, which kind of worked for me, um, but um, the feedback that I got when I shared it was it's it's too complex. So I, I then released a second version, maybe early this year. Um, I've kind of done it, but just hadn't got it in a state that could be shared. Um, that really stripped it down and, and kind of came down to more elements of where you're just kind of flipping with a, a top card. Um, rather than trying to rebuild all the mechanics. Um, but then if you do that, you basically have to give 
the troop advantages in other ways, you know, they get more cards or they get more characters or, or, or whatever. So that's kind of how I did it really to try and have a, just create a challenge for myself of some someone to play against and also make sure I didn't kind of cheat um, by yeah. any of these rules. Because that's the easiest thing to do if you're playing solo and you're like, oh, I wish I'd played that card. Oh, maybe I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like a real person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I think you're bluffing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I was always difficult with it. Like, it didn't. Like, I, I tried a couple of things like you know, during lockdown when I was just really missed playing Moonstone. I think I tried it once where basically I just chose chose two troops that had almost no arcane abilities at all, mm-hmm. apart from my key on that was it. Um, and that kind of that was kind of fun, it's kind of it kind of worked. It was difficult with the melee. Um, but like I said, I kind of took one hand, looked at it and thought, well, well, this is what I would play knowing what I know. Yeah. And I'd go to the other hand and pretend I didn't know what they had and think, well, this is what I would play knowing what I know and play it like that. Um, I heard it once. I think I didn't, did, I didn't try it again because it was a bit tricky. Um, but as we've kind of alluded to already, like it, this game lends itself so much to playing with people. Um, it's such an interactive so it's such, a, it's, a, it's such a social game and sociable game um and and i think the thing is as you're saying about like cheating it's it's almost impossible to cheat in moonstone like because you can show people the cards people can look at your cards and you've only got six so it's not like it's taking much time to do that um if they know your cards it, which is not hard to know because you have only five or six cards it's really, really hard to actually intentionally cheat in Moonstone because yeah. you have to show them everything. Um, and there's so few rules to actually have to remember um, that I've never, I've never had, some, I've never played against someone who's into, like, who I've thought is intentionally cheating. I've had people who've made mistakes and gone, oh, actually, I didn't realize I couldn't do that. And, and then they realized afterwards. And, like, and I think it was genuine because um, they haven't tried it kind of multiple times. Um, so I've done that too. Yeah, and you realize. Oh yeah, no, I've done that. I've done that plenty of times playing new. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times playing new models, and we forgot things. Particularly, particularly now. Now there's so many. When I when I first started playing, and all there was were six fairies, six gnomes, six humans, and six goblins. It was fairly easy to remember what everyone did. Um, so uh, yeah, but um, now there's so many new cards. It's it's really hard to try and remember. I, I, need to play. I, haven't, I haven't even played with like, new goblins yet. Like Portly Pete and Joby and Tax Collector, I haven't played with them yet. Um, so I'm sure I'll make mistakes when I start playing with them. Thankfully, I have a, even though I play with a lot of the new I'm not forgetting what the old ones do, so I'm quite pleased with that. Like, I, I haven't played with, you know, Flintlock for ages, but I do still remember his card, so um, that's quite good. Yeah. Okay, I think that'll do for solo, because they're not Enormous amount we talk about more we talk about solo reports. I think what I'd like because we've alluded to it so much, I'd like to talk about tournaments next, if that's all right. Uh-huh. Um, so uh what are, did, uh, have you have you been to any tournaments? Yeah, yeah, I haven't organized any yet. I was gonna ask you, you you'll probably speak about you've organized a few, haven't you? But I will organize one 
as I mentioned, maybe an online one later this year, uh, the intention. But I've been to one that was organised in in Switzerland in the um, in the, the gaming shop in Lausanne that I mentioned earlier. Um, I went to a demo day they did, and then they also did a tournament, which was really nice. Um, and then I've I've actually been going to the tournaments in Bristol that Joe organises. I've been to maybe four of them now. Because oh, cool. um, there's actually a direct flight from Geneva to to Bristol, and and my my family live near there, so it's actually just really convenient and um, a great a great way to just go and get a few a few games and use the models and and so on. So it's great. I, I there's a lot of people there that I've met regularly um, from the different tournaments. Um, so it's it's always nice to see them each time as well. Cool. Okay. Lovely stuff. Um, so how how have you, I'll, I'll let you talk first. Then how how what 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 troops have you taken? So, <laughs> so in, the Swiss, in the Swiss one, I took cultists, um, and I think my story of this was probably one of the things that helped <laughs> with the with the errata on the cultists that happened. Um, this year, I, I've been very vocal throughout the years in my hatred of Klaus, mainly because Cla uh, Paolo has completely coppered me with Klaus so many times. Um, but so I decided in that tournament to take the cultists, and I felt very guilty afterwards because, it's, as I say, this was before the latest Irata, and I completely wiped the floor with with everyone in this. Um, in this tournament with with Lubard and Klaus, and I, I thought actually that's not really a very nice way to play. It was a tournament, but um, you know, particularly if you've got new players, you need to have some pretty good counters against some models, and so it's not necessarily fair to to take them if you're going to a tournament where there are kind of newer players there. I think. Um, and then more recently for the Bristol tournaments, I think generally I've taken fairies or kind of mixed dominion lists. I've taken um, trolls and uh, masquerade. I think in the, in the latest one, I had a mixed fairy troll list uh, with some rogues thrown in. So it was kind of quite flexible for different uh, things. I mean, that's the great thing about tournaments that you you choose eight models and you have to try and within those eight models think about which of these would I take against which opponent. So there's kind of a lot of thought that you have to put into uh, what, what what who's going to be in your eight, what's going to be your core, who would you swap out. So yeah, so in the latest I had a very flexible list with trolls, rogues and and fairies. The fate of Eric one was a really nice one to do. I think that was last year where you had the Eric, the unsure, and you had that special model you could use. Yeah, yeah. That was really good to use in the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I had him with a couple of trolls and with Duchess. And generally, I, I generally I choose the nastiest models that you can. I was saying earlier about trying to be nice in solo in 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 person games and tournament games, maybe you're a bit more cutthroat. I think it is a yeah. good opportunity to to go for it and, and, and try and be really nasty within reason, of course. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I think, I think you you should expect at a tournament people are going to be competitive. I mean, it's it's a um, it's a competitive environment and people are there to win. So, like, whenever I've been to any gaming tournament, I don't expect people to necessarily be nice in the way they play. I expect people to be polite and things, and, and you know, as a player. But um, yeah, I mean, I've played I've played in about five tournaments. Um, most of which ones I've run. Um, and I, I ran, I think I ran fairies in all of them. Um, one, two, I think. Um, but it's interesting, interesting what you're saying about the cultists and Paolo is that the last one, I haven't done it for a while. Kids and work and things, I just haven't had time to run one. I do want to run one. I keep meaning to do another one up in Norfolk where I live. but. Um, I played. Me and Paolo played in the final of the last tournament I did, and he used cultists and I used fairies. Um, that one was actually really was a really close game. It basically at the end of turn four, we had three moonstones each. It basically came down to a dice roll for the sudden uh-huh. death. I knew that if I won a dice roll, I would go with someone, and I, and I would be able to immediately kill one of his models calling a moonstone and therefore I would win. If he won the dice roll, he'd be able to immediately kill one of my models carrying a moonstone and he would win. And that's literally what happened. The bottom that was really close. I managed to kill Klaus with Fencer. Okay. And it was like mutual destruction, but I just charged Fencer in and she just murdered him. Um uh I think I think one of the reasons is I'm gonna check something I've got in front of me now. Fencer Spencer gets three passive abilities. Yeah, still. yeah. So yeah. she probably got through. I think she got through something. I can't remember. I think now. I don't know if it gets through. Yeah, because kinship is a passive ability. So she was able to get through his protection, basically. Um, I don't know if that would work now, though, because. In the errata, I had this with a game the other day. In the errata card, he now gets protection from that at the beginning of the turn. So, yeah, I can't remember how it worked, but it basically yeah. it, it ended up being mutual. So he killed Fencer as well, but I was able yeah. to take out kind of basically. Um, and that was kind of, you know, he, he was centering his play around that character, around Klaus, and once I took him out, he was a bit like, oh, I'm not quite sure what to do now. Um, I think he managed to kill Diana. I had Diana in my list as well. Or he killed Gotchka. I think that was before the Gotchka Irata as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a really good, it was a really good game. It was a really close game. It really felt like in that tournament that it's gonna sound, I don't want to sound arrogant, but the two best players were the ones in the final. Um you know, it should have been me and Paolo in the final. Or you know, Jack did well; he should have been in the final too. There was another player who played a bit, and he like in the bit like him and Jack. I think in like the semi-final, but it was experienced players who were in the top. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Moonstone's a game that particularly you can kind of get a noob arrive and immediately win a tournament. Um, you know, in my the other tournaments that I've the tournaments that I've won. Um, it might be one, I might have won two, but in one of the tournaments I won, it was kind of, I was clearly the most experienced player there. And 
uh, in the final, I, I I beat the guy quite easily. Um, I think it's easy for a, a new player to win a game because there's you know if you have the right cards, you know you've done a perfect counter, then you've got three falling swings, you can just kill a model, and that 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 makes a difference. You've won the game basically. Sometimes depending on who the model is, but in a tournament, you have to be able to do that consistently across a few games. So, yeah, it's yeah. going to be hard to win yeah. three or four games. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah, like you, you, you can't rely on luck to win a tournament. You, it, it can happen where you can, it can, you can get luck at a crucial point in a game and it can swing a, swing a game for you, but that's unlikely to happen across four games. And particularly is, you know, the more games you win in a tournament, the more likely you are to play against very experienced, very good players. Um, we're going to be able to make your odds harder, as it were. Go on, right. no, go on. I was just going to say I had a similar thing to what you what you said about the, the sudden death in the uh, tournament I just did in one of the games I, I played against a Commonwealth player. And it it felt really bad. I, I won the dice roll, <laughs> but it was literally whoever wins the dice roll is going to win. I think I had I had managed to I had Noel and I'd managed to push um, one of his characters just out of my engagement range with the signature, which is surprisingly useful. Noel's signature actually, um, so he could harvest. But he also had another model that could harvest a different moonstone, and it was just whoever's going to win the dice roll yeah. is going to win it. It's just a bit of a shame in a tournament when it's like super, super close, and and uh, but but you know that's kind of how it goes. It could have gone the other way. Yeah, it's kind of how yeah, it's how it is sometimes. Um, like uh, like in, in the in the tournament, the only tournament I played in Bristol, which wasn't one of Joe's tournaments, it was how I met him though. Um, I think I played Joe in my in the third round game, uh, and he took a really shooty goblin nest and just murdered my fairies before I could do anything. Um, but that was the only game in that tournament I really felt like I was on the back foot the whole time. Um, the first game I played against a very new player, and I well, ashamedly just wiped the floor with them, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, in the last game, I, in the last game, because I already knew I couldn't win by the time I was playing the last game. I was just playing for fun, really. And the guy I was playing against also couldn't win either. So we were like out of sod this. Um, so I just I just made his players kill each other <laughs> with silver tongue. I kept my control. Oh, yeah, now you can shoot Fancy Hat. <laughs> Even though it was going to do no damage at all. It's like, fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> Make you shoot him. <laughs> Keep yourself um, entertained. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically we're just doing that. Um, but yeah, tournaments are fun. I think what I really like about Moonstone tournaments, because the only other game I've played in tournaments is Guild Ball before it folded. Um, and by the time I stopped playing, I, I went to about five or six Guild Ball tournaments and I ended up hating them because everyone was just so... Um, not everyone, but I, I, I played against people who had tried to cheat. Several people, I played against several people who tried to cheat and that really put me off. Um, and just played against some not very nice people. And it really put me off. Whereas I've always found with the most tournaments either that I've run or gone to or just been a part of in any way, everyone's really nice. 
the Moonstone community is the, like, the nicest gaming community I've ever been part of by miles. Yeah. So I always find Moonstone tournaments are a lot more fun than other tournaments I've been to because um, everyone's so much nicer. Was there a thing with, I, I've never played Guild Ball, but I think I heard a thing with it that there's just no real element of luck to it. So if you are like a super experienced player and you've got the right models and you do it, you'll win. Whereas Yeah, it, it was very, very imbalanced. Yeah, it was, it was, it ended up being quite an imbalanced game. Like certain teams were just clearly better and they were winning all the tournaments because they were just better teams. Okay. I came like third in one, was the highest I ever ranked in a global tournament, was like third. Um, but I guess I, I was just never that competitive that I cared about learning which which teams were the best and which and how to play them best. Like I did all right. I, I was always kind of like middle of the table or middle to sort of top quarter of the table, and that was fine by me. I wanted to go and have some fun, but somebody I played against didn't. There wasn't okay. This then, which is a shame. So I think Guildhall, I don't think Guildhall was designed to be a tournament game. Like that. And although I think the way it ended was done really, really badly, like in terms of like publicly, it was done. I mean, I, you see, don't play it, but it was done really badly the way they ended it. Um, in some ways, they were right that the community, that the tournament playing community, did destroy the game because yeah. they were just so vocal, and that was all everyone cared about was who who was the best, was the meta, and winning, and this card's best, this model's best, and change this it was so unpleasant stop being about people just having fun playing a game mm -hmm. um but anyway enough about that but um i i certainly say anyone, anyone who's listening who's considering going to a Moonstone tournament i highly recommend it one it'll make you a better player because you'll play against loads of different people playing different troops you'll learn loads about how different people play um people generally speaking like i say are really nice and you'll have a nice time. It'll be, it's a really fun day out, as it were. Um, it's really equal. It's really fair. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely recommend go go and have a go. Go and have a go. They seem to be everywhere now. Um, That's a lot of them, yeah. So, and, and everyone that I've been to, there's been a new or very you know, nearly new player, and it's just been nice because people have been very happy to just take time to kind of show them the ropes and the rules and things and you know not do the horrible thing where you suddenly reveal something on the card that they're obviously not aware of what this character can yeah. do i mean everyone was very much like you need to be aware my character can do this just so you know um yeah you know, i don't imagine you get that in many tournaments no i don't think so well particularly people, people can just ask anyway in, in the tournament I've run, I've always given, I've always timed in like five minutes before each game for the players to share their cards. Uh -huh. That's a good idea. So that people can say, well, I don't know you too very well, can I have a look at all your cards? It gives people five minutes to just go right, they can do a thing and actually work out some of that stuff yeah. and just have a chat with their opponent about things they should, they should know. Um, yeah. I've always like, like modelled that very clearly. Like I said, right, you've got about five minutes, talk about each other's troops. Talk about the models you've all got. So I know there's like eight or whatever, but tell your opponent things that they might need to know about your troop. Let's make this a nice, fair, and even. People have taken that on board. Um, so there's less kind of gotcha moments in them, um, which makes them much more enjoyable as well. It's just a rubbish way to win as well. Like, oh yes, I yeah. won this. You didn't know. 
what was on what was on my card that Silver Tom was going to heal all his energy and and so on. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that, yeah, and I remember that Gilbert one was like, oh, yeah, no, I can do this. this. I was like, well, you won just because I didn't know that. Are you, are you proud of yourself? I didn't say it because I'm too polite, but like, are you proud of yourself that you just won simply because I didn't know your card could do that? Yeah. Um, but anyway. Okay, cool. Um, I think we'll move on. Let's go to, let's go to battle reports. Little battle reports. Both of us got experience doing that in different ways as well, which is interesting. Okay. I think, um, generally speaking, people have heard me talk about battle reports a lot, um, either in the battle reports or on this podcast. So, but you've got a different way of doing it. So, I think I'd be interested in hearing how how you record, as it were, your your yeah. battle report. How you've done it. So, I'd like to hear how you do it. Yeah, I did it. I mean, I was aware of your reports when I did it, and I think at the time there weren't really many other people doing battle reports or video battle reports than you. Um, and so I, I'd watched the videos, and I, I liked the way where you just showed the the action. You didn't show everything, so it really kind of focused in on key things you need to know. Um, the, what I tried to do that was different was to do a, a written battle report um, and that was partly because um, I was finding that I was um, having more time to read stuff than I was to sit down and watch a video basically and I just imagined that other people might be in a similar place mm. so you know it might be a good thing to do and um, so I did I, quite a few um, reports where I basically wrote them and I just took photos of the key points in the game. And again, it was a nice way to kind of use the models and see the models in action. Um, and um, I did, you know, in-person games with my regular opponent, but I also did it for some of the solo games that I did just to, again, this was kind of during COVID lockdown. It was just a, a good thing to do to just keep the interest. And also yeah, it's it a really like, nice it, way it, to it yeah it's a great way to relive the best parts of the game as well you know afterwards because I, I assume you do quite a lot of editing on your videos afterwards you kind of relive the game uh in honesty i do almost no editing at all ah okay i i'm, I'm really really careful with the raw footage okay um no i do almost no editing whatsoever because one i generally don't have time um sorry i'm not talking about how i do it but i generally don't have time so um as a full-time primary school teacher uh, which is a six day a week job i've got two small children I've got a big garden i don't know develop responsibilities i didn't have time but what i do is, is i've learned to be really careful with the war footage so let's say someone's about to do an arcane ability let's say you know what's about to throw a javelin we we measure it all we check it all it's all it's all right deal out the cards, I go, right, are you ready? Press record and go like that. Um, I do obviously watch it back and sometimes you'll, people will see that I'll, I'll add like text to say things like, I forgot this, sorry, or or this was the wrong thing to do. That kind of, I'll make corrections like that. Um, I used to edit a bit more, but that was literally before I had kids and don't have time to do it now. Um, so, 
generally speaking, no, I don't. I'm, re- I'm really careful with the raw footage. I know that, I can't remember what episode it is. I did do an episode um, probably almost a year ago now with Julian, who does uh, Out of the Breach, um, German fellow, and he does obviously loads of editing on his report, and his reports look amazing. Um, yeah. If you want to learn more, anyone who's listening wants to learn more about creating very detailed battle reports on online and you know very beautifully created battle reports, I recommend listening to that podcast. Um, I wish I knew what episode it was. I can't remember off the top of my head, um, and I can't look now. Um, but it's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's called Interview with Julian from Out of the Breach, so I recommend that. Um, but no, I don't particularly. Um, there's, I've, I've gone through a few iterations of how I do battle reports. Um, so when we used to Guild Ball, for example, we filmed top down, um, or like from an angle, but from the top down. And we've done, I've done that a couple of times with Moonstone, and I've thought about doing it again, where uh, I film kind of the whole, the whole table. Um, it will make the reports longer, and there's something attractive for me about making short battle reports of 20 minutes. People can watch like on a lunch break or just short ones like that. Um, but yeah, now I go with, I have it set up on a tripod, ready, aimed at the right people, at the right models, cards ready, record. Right now, now Wasp is going to throw his javelin at uh, the Goblin King. Here are my cards. This is what I'm playing. You know, sometimes with a quick update of what's happened in the previous activations. Um, but also, I know I know other people have done where they film everything. They film every little bit. They film, right, now this person's moving here. Now they're doing this. Now they're doing that. Now they're doing this. And they film everything. Fine. Um, I prefer not to do that. Also because I, I like filming the games and I like re-watching them sometimes. I also just really like playing <laughs> So I don't necessarily want the whole thing, the whole game to be about how to get the filming right. I want it to be about just enjoying playing a game as well. So we probably only film about half of our games anyway. Because quite often I'll go, I, I fancy playing Moonstone, and I don't fancy recording it because I just want to enjoy playing it. Um, so because it can end up taking up, it probably adds about 45 minutes to an hour to the actual game. Um doing the recording but because I get the raw footage so carefully done it takes me 20 minutes to then make the report I literally just put it all together put a transition in like fading to black put the intro in and the outro in and go create and that's about it <laughs> and quite often I'll, I'll watch it once before I upload it usually sometimes I don't bother doing that it's like oh sorry put it out. <laughs> um, but yeah and it's the same with all my reports. It's the same with it's usually the same with the more time and the at the moment we only really do Moonstone more time and 40k on the channel. So it's the same with those. I'm just really careful with the raw footage. I remember reading some of your um written reports like, I say like early on when you first started. I think yeah, I think you I think you're right. When the Leshevok you said you, you joined in about the time just after Leshevok Kickstarter. I think we probably were the only YouTube channel creating content at that point. There's now loads, which is great um, to see. Um, but yeah, I remember reading a, a couple of yours and, and quite enjoying, you know, absorbing the content in a different way. Thank you. Yeah, I, a few things you said just kind of 
playing bells with me. One was around the um, the view of the table, and this is one of the things I found um, writing it is, is that the pictures are really important. You know, mm. you could describe the action in, in writing, but for people to see the bigger context of what the game is, you do need those kind of overhead yeah. type shots every now and then. So I think as I was writing these things, I kind of refined how I did it over several reports. And so the later reports do always have at the end, and I think also the beginning of each term, the you know, the, the top down look. And then, you know, if there's a particular interesting thing that happened during the term, then it focuses in on that. And that's when you get some nice close ups on the models. Um, so that was kind of a similar approach to you, I think. Um, I also didn't write everything down. It was just, um, you know, these people grabbed them in stone and that was it. I didn't kind of write, you know, they, they moved four inches. And yeah, if you start like <laughs> um, so to just try and make it more interesting to read. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I part of the reason I did it, I, one of the things that, I'm really into is creative writing. I've published a couple of novels um, in the past year, and this was about uh, the time when our kids were really young. So it was just really hard for me to do any anything more involved. So actually, writing these reports was a great outlet for mm. that part of me. Um, but of course, as I've got more into kind of novel writing, I just run out of I just don't have the time to do it anymore. Um, and also, as you say, there's a lot of people that are producing YouTube videos as well. So I think that kind of niche is, is more filled for people to have that content um, because it, do, it does take a very long time to then write up a battle report. It was nice um, because I'd often do it, you know, a week or so later. I'd take notes as I was playing, take pictures as I was playing, and then a week or so later, I'd read through the notes and try and piece together what what had happened. I couldn't necessarily always remember. It was a great way of, of reliving a game, but very, very time consuming. So may, maybe I'll do it again, maybe not, but at least there's an archive of, I think, uh, 10 or 12 on, on the site that are kind of available people to to read it'd be nice to try and do some of some of the newer models as well if i could find the time because mm. you can also record i think you you can record table dot simulator can't you yeah 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 and I'll, i'm not gonna I'm not, I'm not pushing you to try and start <laughs> games or anything i'll put it up on youtube but it just it's just occurred to me that you, you can record table simulator um, yeah, I think Paolo has done quite a few of his games. He's put them up on Twitch, so some of them involve me as well. No. I'm not sure it's happened so much recently, but I also actually did do one of the written battle reports from one of our first tabletop simulator games. Um, so yeah, there were different options, but definitely recording something, particularly if you can do it well, like, like you two, where you just have minimal editing afterwards, is just a really good way to get, get content out there and it's a nice way for people to get familiar with the, the models and how they work together and the different troops and tactics and things um, but again particularly during lockdown when people weren't necessarily getting so many games it was just a great way of 
and introducing the game to them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, I think we'll do now because we're getting on a little bit, an hour and 25 minutes now. Um, wow. It's been good. I think we'll, we were going to talk about campaigns, but given that neither of us have actually played a proper campaign, <laughs> Um, I think we'll leave that. And I think I, there is an earlier podcast about about campaign playing. I think maybe we'll leave that for the moment. And I'll, I'll save that for another recording. Because um, I, I think I'm going to leave. I did mention we'll talk about demoing, but I think we've kind of mentioned it enough. It doesn't really need to have its whole own topic. And I'd like to talk about scenarios and we'll do playtesting at the end. Because, uh, you know, this, this topic is this, this whole podcast about talking about different ways to play and different ways to absorb the content. I think scenarios are a really interesting way that people can play moons in a different way. And I think it's worth talking about. Um, what I kind of want to talk about is we, I, funny enough, I don't actually have my second, my arising book on me because I've lent it to Phil, um, which is fine because I know all the scenarios in it because I wrote them all. <laughs> but, um, um, uh, I just think. You wrote that, all of them, did you? I I wrote the initial idea for all of the scenarios in the arrival oh, wow. book. I think possibly one. I think um, there's basically three. What what Moonstone does is it has pretty much has this rule of threes. So everything things come in threes. Yeah. The troop boxes come in threes, with usually with three models in them. The scenarios come in threes. Um, everything kind of comes in threes, which is very much a traditional fairy tale thing. Um, in loads of fairy tales, things are in threes. Billy Goff got three of them. Godlock's three bears, there's three of them. Um, there's three of a lot of things in traditional tales, and that's carried mice. over to me. Yeah. What's that? Three blind mice. Three blind mice, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's even more to think about it. I think that in, even in, I think in Little Red Riding Hood, she says three things to the wolf. Her two eyes are, eyes are really big, ears are really big, then it's mouth, and then it's finished. And it's, so <laughs> things come in threes. Um, so when I, I'll as well talk about the ones I created first, and then we can go back to the original ones. But I, I know that, actually, no, I will go back to the original ones first, because I know that in the first book that was created, when when Wootham was first launched, the story, of, the story scenarios in that, I know, were quite almost hastily done. And I, I hope Tom, this is not, not offending anyone by saying this, but I'm pretty sure this has mentioned it before. They were quite kind of hastily done in the book when the book was being written. It was quickly trying to find different ways. So some of the, I know that some of the scenarios were never even properly tested. They were just like, right, let's just do this, it'll be funny. Um, and you can kind of tell that because a lot of them are very imbalanced. Um, but they all, what's fun about the scenarios is they follow a story. So in the original, in the original Moonstone book, the original hardback rule book, I think it's now softback actually. Um, there's three sets of scenarios because everything's in threes and in, within each set there's three scenarios um, and they do create a story and there's a narrative that goes with them um, and very early on when I started playing I started creating because I've always done that when I played games always created new scenarios and new and new narratives for things and I started creating new scenarios quite early on so when the Leisure Vault Kickstarter came about which is when the Arising um, book was really being done Actually, the Rising book came later, but the Leisure Vault was being created. Um, I was just creating scenarios generally, and Tom was very much like, "Yeah, if you want to create some scenarios for me, Dan, go for it." Because I also wrote the wrote the background for them as well. 
because I like doing a bit of writing. Um, but I still followed that same template of um, three different sets of scenarios with three different stories with three scenarios in each. Um, and that works quite well, I think. You can kind of wrap up, a, you, can, you can basically have a beginning, middle and end in your set of scenarios. Um, and but the whole point of the scenarios are it's not necessarily supposed to be balanced. Like the basic Moonstone game is so well balanced. Um, but the whole point of the scenarios is that it's not <laughs> it's not supposed to be balanced at all. It's supposed to be slightly one-sided, a bit bonkers, but ultimately just a bit of fun. Like you can look at like the the, the drunk Fritz scenario. It's it's fun. It's a bit weird. It's quite hard to play. <laughs> um, I'm gonna just I've just noticed that my wife just got back from work. So if you hear a door opening in a moment and someone else talking, both you, Paul, and the people listening, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, and what is also fun about the scenarios is playing with these alternative cards. So in the original scenarios, you've got a drunk Fritz. So it's a, duff, a different way of playing Fritz, which is quite fun. Um, and then in the newest, in the Arising book, you've got Diana Enraged, and she's got her own model, which is really fun. There's also a different version of Anya, sort of pre-being cursed, which is which she called Anya, Anya the Brat, which is really fun. Um, and essentially, like, when I created those scenarios, I think I know Tom. Obviously, Tom had a had a hand in all of them, and so did Joe. Towards by by the time they got released in the book, um, they and actually Susie as well, because there were certain characters where it conflicted with the main narrative, so we had to, check, we had to tweak a few bits, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, what was fun about writing it was often I sort of started with the table. And not necessarily with the models. Um, like when I wrote the mutiny scenario, the one on the boat, I wanted to put it on a boat. <laughs> so I had a boat, so I put it on a boat. Um, and it was it was just sod it. Let's see, you know, how weird can I make it? Um, and then it was about creating with most of the scenarios I created, those three different stories. Most of the time I had one scenario created one story, one part of the story, and I then had to create two more to go with it. Um, but, you know, for the Arising book, it was very much, I wanted a fairy one, because I like fairies. <laughs> I wanted a pirate one, because they were they were new at the time. And I wanted a Leshevolt one, because they were new at the time as well. Um, <clears throat> so um, that was kind of really the basis of, like, choosing a theme for the three scenarios. Um, but I've done several other random scenarios I've made up since then. And what I would say to anyone listening is I really recommend just letting your imagination run wild, really. Because um, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to create a narrative with it. Just have some fun. Um, because it was really fun creating those ones. And um, it was fun playtesting them because we actually playtested them properly and actually made them a lot more um made them more even to a certain extent um things like the like the Diana and Ray scenario we play tested that one a few times um 
the mutiny scenario we didn't play test as much because the whole point of that was it was supposed to be weird and wonky and just a bit and a bit silly. But the other pirate scenarios we did play test more. Um, same with the Leshbot scenarios, we did play test them more to make them a bit more even. Um, okay. Some of them are still quite hard. Um, but that's kind of the point. Thursday it was a bit like like with the dad the, the Dino and Rage scenario. It was very much like right. I've got Diana, I've got Diana and Rage and all these giants. <laughs> can you beat me? Pretty much. That was kind of the idea behind it was this is really, really hard. I want you to see if you can beat me. You can do whatever you want. Originally, originally that scenario was the only when I first created it, it was Dino Enraged and Four Giants, and the other person could choose whatever trick they wanted. Yeah. It was supposed to be just they were the rest of the world was trying to beat Diana, and you could choose whatever you wanted. You just had to try and beat me, and it was really, really hard. And then we kind of wove it into a story and it ended up being about the rogues, um, which would kind of work better in there. But what's nice about the scenario is it says, here's a troop selection you can take, or take whatever you like. Yeah. Um, so it's not, you're not constrained by the scenarios. You can change the troops if you want. The troops that are in the scenarios are there because they follow the narrative of those, of that set of scenarios. The other good thing about those scenarios in the second book I remember is it tended to be characters that weren't necessarily in the main narrative of the, the Susie Wright of the of the Arising. So these were kind of characters that were in the book but weren't really appearing anywhere else. So it was nice to see them kind of in action. Um, I don't think like Belladonna, for example, who's in that Diana one, I don't think she's mentioned elsewhere in the book other than in her profile. There were a few yeah. other characters like that that were maybe only very briefly mentioned. So it was kind of nice to see them in action. And when I do scenarios, I I like to try and stick with a suggested truth. It's it's just a nice way to stick with the theme as well and, and use different models. Yeah, I mean, the scenarios will work better if you do that. Um, the only one I think that's an exception to that, a really clear exception, is the Sleepy Heads one. Um, because I mean we use that for demoing quite a lot. Um and it's quite an easy one to just pick whoever whoever you want, really. It's really sleepyheads is more like an alternative way of playing the main game um than it is uh than it is part of a of an actual scenario set. Um like I said, we I use it for demoing at, at, at um events quite a lot. Um because it makes the game quicker. Because you get to the action very quickly. Yeah. yeah. You you get to the melee very quickly, you get to the arcane very quickly. So you can give people a feel for the game really quickly. Whereas the you know, the, the main way of playing, turn one can be quite stilted. <clears throat> you know, because it can be quite tactical and just you're just moving stuff often, you're not often shooting or there's, there's very rarely melee in turn one. The sleepy head is quite useful for teaching people the rules because it just gets them in there early on and, and you can actually do a demo in sort of 15 minutes then rather than an hour which we don't want to be spending an hour doing one demo at a convention because you want to get the next person and the next person and the next person in um yeah there was a scenario in the i think the first book which i think became really relevant to the narrative in the second where Eric gets kidnapped by diana yeah really i remember playing that one in the in the woods that was quite a cool one, and it was good to see the kind of repercussions of it um, later on as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. And it's called. Um, there's a few. There's still. Yeah, I've got. I've got a book in front of me. Yeah. Um, Starts with. I think. I think. I, start, I think that's part of the Sleepyheads one. If you go home when you're drunk, one is not the same. I think there's only two sets of scenarios. Yeah, there's only two sets of scenarios in the original book and three sets of scenarios in the second book. Um, but yeah, there is. Yeah, he he does get kidnapped, but then that does form part of the main narrative. Um, and obviously, it formed a whole part of a whole community event in the end, yeah. with the Eric being sure and things. So interesting. Yeah, that's the model I've just finished painting. Is my Eric enlightened model, um, and I, I underappreciated just how beautiful that model is until I painted it. I thought, oh, it's quite cool. It's cool. When I painted it, I was like, holy cow! This is <laughs> this is a, this is a cool model. Oh my god, this is a cool model. Um, um, but yeah, those um, horns, huge horns on that. Uh, what what yeah. is it? The, the the beast? It's a. It's like an elk. I, think. I, don't, I mean, it's probably got. I might, it might have a name. I don't remember. And obviously, Susie wrote a whole thing with it, and I, I didn't read it, and I can't remember it now. It's completely out of my head. But it's obviously that it's designed to be a huge deer, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what a male deer is called. No, just deer. Um. But, but no, I, I finished painting him recently as well. Um, I yeah, he was he was quite nice actually. Um, the 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 elk kind of came together quite quickly, and then yeah, there's lots of options for doing the 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 armor on him as well. I think I went for kind of a green metallic one, but I've seen some really nice models uh, posted. Um, yeah, I think Erica just did one recently that I think was. was I saw yesterday on, on Facebook, which is really nice. Yeah, he's. I know we're, we're going off a tangent now, but he is such a good model. I want to talk about him a little bit. Um, he's one of the few Moonstone models that I only did part assembly before painting. Mm. Um, I didn't glue on the antlers or either of his arms, and I painted him without them, and then yeah. painted them partly separately, and then attached them and finished the painting. It's one of the few models I've done it with. Um, I really, and I'm glad I did because those antlers would have really got in the way. Um, yeah. So. I, I did do it connected. I knew it was going to be a pain to paint, but I wanted to play him. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to paint him that soon. But I should have learned because Doug, I found very difficult to paint once I'd stuck his shield on as well. It was, yeah. Getting, getting behind that was not easy, but. I went into it with open eyes. I, I have no one else to blame but myself. <laughs> yeah. Hard it was. yeah. 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 And, and sometimes it's, it's hard, isn't it? Like, I, I know you do, do, don't say play it, but I, I, play, I do play 40K and I do enjoy it for all its faults. But um, for anyone who plays that, I've just bought, because I'm a Dark Angels player and I've been for a long time, I've just bought the Lionel Johnson model, which for me is really exciting because I've played Lionel Dark Angels for a very long time. It's the Primark of their Legion. It's really cool. But I've not built him yet. He's part assembled. And I'm like, I really want to build him and play him, but I've got yeah. to do this right because he's a real centerpiece of the army. Like Eric Light is a real centerpiece of the army. So, like the other models of the Moonstone that I've done, they were like, I Diana enraged. I did part assembly so I can get the, the swirl right. Um, I think I did it for um, Tabby. I didn't connect her arm to paint her. Um, I actually wish I hadn't painted her to the base. 
She was a nightmare to play the eleventh single yeah. one. I wish I hadn't taken the <laughs> I wish I hadn't included the bass. I think she would have been fine if I hadn't included the bass. Mm. Yeah. Um I can't think who else. I have I have because I've got I've got the the limbs of this and Goblin King model to paint. He's on he's my he'll be my last one to paint. He's fully built actually, because I think he's quite accessible. Um I'm trying to think of other ones. Anyway, we're, you know what, we'll leave that because we're, we're going to talk yeah. about painting. Um, uh, is there anything you want to add? I know I, I, I rambled on quite a lot then about the scenarios. I didn't really give you much time to talk, but um, is there anything I, you want I've to add? Done, I've not done them that much actually. I don't really know why. I think I initially didn't do them because I wanted to only do the painted models and I wanted to use the particular troops, so it kind of waited. But yeah, I think you've you've covered it pretty well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, then the last bit to talk about then is playtesting. So obviously we won't mention any new models that are being playtested at the moment. I know Joe has, has leaked is the wrong word because he's done it on purpose, has revealed a few bits that are coming out soon. So we, we, know, we know there's this new faction coming out, the, the Shades. Um, uh, and I think he's, I think he's talked about the next release, but I'm not going to mention it just in case. I don't want to accidentally release, say something that I shouldn't say. Um, but we can talk about playtesting things that have been released. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly. Um, I mean, I think uh, people, people probably know my experience of playtesting fairly well. Um, we used to record a lot of our playtesting and actually put it up as battle reports. We stopped doing that now. Um, since since Moonstone became a bit more, what well, you know, bigger really and actually became a company that in, in kind of being run a bit more what's better a bit more professionally sounds harsh because tom's always been professional but he used to run he used to do it on the side essentially but now he's actually a company with employees we don't um we don't film models that are in playtesting because they go out of date now like some of our old battle reports i look back and think oh i wish that wasn't there because that's not how that model works anymore <laughs> Um, but I don't want to take them down because I just don't want to take them down. But um, but yeah, uh, I, I'd be interested to know how much playtesting because I've done quite a lot of playtesting. But interested to know how much playtesting you've done actually, or what you playtested. Probably less than you. Definitely less than you. I've been doing it for maybe a couple of years now. I I just mentioned to Joe about it when I was at one of his tournaments about whether. It would be helpful. I wasn't sure I wanted to do it because I quite like having like the final product. <laughs> um, and one of the things that you kind of find with playtesting, which I think you've kind of alluded to, is you, I mean, these, these models go through many, many iterations and, and, and what you can end up with can be completely different to a version that you've playtested sometime before. And it can yeah. kind of be a bit disappointing sometimes because you kind of miss what the model used to do, even if it was stupidly completely overpowered, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and so I kind of like the final thing. Yeah, Sometimes when I've been playing with the new models since, since they've been released, it's been, um, I've remembered the card wrong. I've not looked at the card. I've remembered an earlier version of the card. Yeah. And then suddenly, yeah, oh, I know actually, that. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely know that feeling. Not so much recently, but I definitely know that feeling from previous cards where I played a, I've 
played a previous version that's not the official one. Um, but um, yeah, and I think it's. Uh, I mean, I, I offered to get involved because I think it is hard to find people to do play testing, or at least to do play testing beyond one or two games, um, because it is. It is hard work. Uh, it's hard work. I think it's, it's I hard. Can't say probably. <laughs> it's quite hard to find people. I think this is a kind of, it's kind of, I don't want this to sound harsh to anyone who wants to do playtesting. What we tend to find happens a lot is, is people say, oh, I want to, I want to playtest, but they've only played a handful of games. And they want to playtest because they think they've kudos basically oh, i've played that the game aren't, aren't i good and they give you feedback and you look at it and go yeah we knew that already we, we already knew all that like you don't get new information um i don't do a normal amount of playtesting now to be honest with you one because um with a limited number of games i play i quite like playing games without having to worry about it um two because i essentially think i'm not as good at playtesting as joe is um, I do, I do I have done some within the last kind of year. I played a game with Tom about a year ago, and that's a playtesting. I think Tom does, Tom does quite like my feedback on models because I played for so long. Um, and I think Joe, Joe is a very, very good playtester in the sense that he's very, very meticulous and very good at making sure things are balanced and fair. What I think Tom quite likes my feedback on is like how it feels um i think he does get that probably does get that from joe and he does lots of playtesting with joe and he's, and he's very good at it and i don't want this in any way to sound critical of, of either of them because it's, it's not they're great people and great gamers and great playtesters um but i think you need to have more people you, you can't have one person doing all the playtesting because then all you're really getting is what that person thinks about that card but actually, it's quite hard to find people who have done it a long time who still want to play test um, yeah. and provide very decent feedback. Um, so uh, I should do some more, really. I haven't done it for quite a while, and I, I should do some again. Um, but it's difficult when, you, when, I, when I think about, oh, well, I want to play this game, I want to play this game, I want to play this. Do I want to spend a game playtesting when I could be filming for this or for that? um but yeah you yeah. have to have a very different mindset to it in that you're not playing to win or no you know, you're still you know always trying to have fun but you're normally you're trying to have fun and win but when you're play testing you're trying to use particular models and see how they work in particular scenarios. you're trying to set up particular scenarios and particular synergies to see if they work um, I mean, really, especially when when I play test, I I often say to sort of Tom or Joe, I'm not going to do that. We're going to play a normal game with these iterations to tell you how a normal game felt for those yeah. models. Um, so I'm not, and 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 sometimes you know, not so much because I haven't done it, but testing for a while. Sometimes I'll I'll, I'll have conversation with Joe. I'm going to play test anything you kind of want to look for. And I kind of realize I shouldn't say that. I should just say, right, I'm going to play test these models. And I'm going to tell you how the game felt as a whole. Yeah. And, it, and another playtester, then the model I want to playtest has died on turn one and gone, okay, 
well, as I said, we've then gone, well, let's end the game now because the two models we want to play to us, one of them died, that's the start, that's yeah. not again. And sometimes we don't finish the game, we just play a bit. But actually, I think what me and what me and Jack can could still be quite useful for playtesting. And I kind of said this to Tom in the past, although I haven't kind of offered it again recently, you know, which is fine. Is what me and Jack are quite useful for is very early playtesting. Because we're quite good at finding blatant errors. <laughs> okay. Um there's a few like, like we help playtest. Um I, I help playtest the, the newest goblin, the Portly Pete, Joby, and the tax collector when they were first created. And we kind of said, well, that doesn't work out. Or this like Jack Jack found a couple of like grammatical mistakes on the card or or a typo here. And that kind of we're quite good at finding those blatant errors. What we're not so good at is the really finickety and, and mind details that didn't quite work. That's what Joe is really, really good at finding, yeah. is actually if that's here, then he, he, he'll he work out the odds by the statistics. And I, I can't either be bothered or know, know how to do that. Um, uh, but yeah, I think like playtesting is, is fun. It's a different way of playing the game again. I, I guess I would encourage people to, to playtest. Um, what I would say now is because I'm I'm technically in charge of running the Goblin program. I don't do much for it to be honest with you because we've always wanted it to be really really informal and not just get people in who want it who want the, the kudos of saying I'm a Goblin as it were. What we do sometimes get what, what when people contact me about the Goblin scheme and I know I've got a couple of things to get back to. When people say oh, what's it for, I tend not to mention playtesting anymore. I tend to say we need people who are going to demo the game and put it out there and do tournaments. Um, if you ask, I'll say, yeah, we do do playtesting, but it's usually very specific times and you, you'll be sent out. These are the three models we want playtesting. Here's the most recent cards. We tend to make it much more specific. It used to be, here's 20 models we're, we're going to be releasing over the next two years. Can you playtest? Because we just got essentially not necessarily entirely useful feedback. We kind of stopped doing that. Um, and, and I think we did get some people in the past, and I know there's a few people who might listen to this thing, or is that mean? It's probably not. Um, who joined the Goblin scheme because they wanted to get some free credit, um, which you can earn as part of being playtesting in the Goblin. So we wanted to make the playtesting a really small part of the Goblin scheme. Um, you know, Joe is in, is employed one day a week to basically do playtesting for the Zoom. Um, we don't really need necessarily loads of playtesters. Um, people who who know because you to playtest new models now, you have to know every other model in the game. Yeah. You have to know what they're like coming up against every other model, and that's pretty hard to find people who know that. Um, yeah, there's not very many people who who necessarily own the entire collection and play the entire collection. Um, so, and I, I, hope I, say... I hope I haven't offended anyone listening to that. But um, playtesting, because I, I I've been involved in playtesting since the beginning, when when it was first released as a Kickstarter, when it was literally when all there was was I think it was seven humans, seven goblins, six fairies, and six. No, that's all there was. I help playtest those models because um, they were when the Kickstarter was finished. While it was being produced and things, 
Tom was asking people who would who would backed it to playtest it, and I was playtesting it. Um, it was a lot easier to playtest when there was only 26 models to playtest. <laughs> um, but now there's well over 100 probably. I can't actually know. It's much harder to playtest it because if you're playtesting a brand new model, you've got to think, well, how is that going to go in against the Fire Spitter? How is that going to go against Portly Pete and Joby? How is that going to go against Gwendolyn and Diana? You know, so you have to be able to think about all those things really. Um, quite, it's quite yeah, different. I, I, yeah, I don't really go there so much because, as you say, Joe is great at that. Um, what the niche I try and fulfil when I when I'm playtesting is the is the kind of newer player niche. Um, yeah, and this is partly because I'm not really I've never been a huge fan of list building, and this has actually been one of the attractions for Moonstone is. You just grab your models and go. You're not having to buy equipment and deal with points and so on. So yeah. I'm more like not trying to think about synergies. And I mean, obviously I do, but I don't spend a huge amount of time doing it. So what I try and do is like, okay, if I was a new player or relatively new player coming to this model new, what would I understand about this card? How would I try and use this this model and um and it's surprising actually how many things kind of get missed there because as you say one of the purposes of the play testing is to try and make sure that they're not overpowered and try and look at those you know anti-synergy things that work really badly um i kind of come in at the other way of like well um <laughs> have, have i misunderstood how to use the model um yeah, i don't know if that's helpful that's really useful. but at least that's what, yeah. that's what i try and do yeah um so i've asked i just start being the one that's asked the stupid questions honestly and um so i i think i mean I, I like to think i had an impact on some of the um tax collector um so as a recent model because i just got completely flattened by her in different <laughs> in different ways um yeah and um and some of the errata cards as well i think we we obviously do play testing on those um but it's it is difficult and i think one of the things that joe has expressed is sometimes um you're not the playtesters are not necessarily working on the latest version of the cards because sometimes it can go so quickly you get the feedback yeah, and he's doing a game and they're yeah. already a few down so you just kind of have to take it for what it is and it's yeah, a nice way yeah. to get an insight and maybe have a way in shaping but ultimately you're there to help rather than anything else yeah and like if i do play testing now i i usually message joe the day before saying can you please send me the latest cards for these ones because <laughs> i know that i know that if, he, if he's put them up on the facebook group or discord i don't tend to go on discord anymore um they'll go out a day a week later so yeah. um yeah people need need the latest things um but yeah i mean i've really enjoyed playtesting in the past and it's definitely something i think I'll do, I'll do again i think for us in particular i don't know if you follow the channel or not particularly but we're currently running a huge mordheim campaign um which is taking up quite a lot of our time and we're all really, really enjoying it. And don't we want to do anything else? <laughs> um, 
So I think we'll probably branch back out into things like playtesting when that campaign is finished, which will probably be in about a year's time. It's going to take us about two years to finish it. <laughs> wow. um, so it's going to end up being, I think, 72 games will make up this campaign. It's amazing <laughs> so, how well uh, more time a community still goes long after the game. Yeah. I mean, more, more time is by far our most watched videos on our channel. I think we've gained about 700 subscribers just for more time. Wow. Which for us is about double what we were on. <laughs> um, and I don't particularly care that much about how many subscribers, how many the numbers and things, but it's, it's just an interesting observation. Um, yeah. Um, I can't think what I was going to say one more thing about playtesting, and I forgot what it was. Um, damn, I completely forgot what it was now. Oh, never mind. I can't remember that important. I don't remember it. Um, anyway, we've we been... given people a kind of interesting view about what it could be, but not really. Yeah, I, have, I just remembered what it was actually. Uh, what I wanted to say is that when anyone who's in thinking of playtesting, the way that I think it's, I think it's the way Tom and Joe still do it is when they when they when they create a new model or a new card. I think Joe's kind of heading up now is. You tend to go with the most overpowered. It's easier to tone down a model than tone up a model. Um, so, for example, I mean, the example, best stuff I could give example is, is models that I've had much more input in creating. So, like, Brother Daniel, for example, is an obvious one. I created that model, helped create that model, and created the entire card. When I created the card, I mean, Daniel is good now. When I created it, he was absolutely mental. <laughs> he was ridiculously good and way overpowered. But when, when Tom said to me, you can create your own cards, um, he said, make it as ridiculous as you want, and then we'll turn it down. And when I created Diana Enraged, it was the most bonkers it could be, and we toned it. I mean, that one was not so hard, because it's only for that scenario. It didn't really matter as much. But it, the, the cards always start from a really overpowered point, and are then toned down. I remember when we first, when I first played Joby, and he was really overpowered, and I was like, "Tom, this is ridiculous." He said, "Yeah, we know it is. We know it is. We know it is toning down." <laughs> um, um, so I can't think. I'm trying, I'm trying to put next to the other ones. I particularly remember playtesting. I, 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 I remember playing. Go on. Sorry, I was saying I, I remember playing Joby or against Joby towards the end, and I think there was a particular scenario where you could use Joby, Portly Pete and Tax Collector to just basically get a Moonstone and there was literally nothing as the opponent you could do against it. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of tweaked, but it's that kind of thing where it's just really useful, I think, feedback. Because... Mm. Yeah. Um, I remember playing, I remember I remember think Vesper. Um, she was pretty good early on actually. I remember playing Fox Club as well. I remember do I remember the Goblin King. I remember I remember quite a lot of the Leshevel. I mean we did a lot of playtesting with the Leshevel when they first came out. That's when I did my most my most playtesting with Leshevel models. Um and then we did a lot of the fawns I remember and a lot of the cursed and the witches we did a lot of playtesting for them. Um it was really fun. Um I don't remember what feedback I gave them, but they were fun. 
I, I think Lesherville must be the hardest to play test because you can, the, the whole style is around you you have an overpowered ability. You kind of have to power them up and they're super powered and then they basically kill everything. Yeah. But yeah. the way you counter it is you stop that happening. So you kind of have yeah. like a balance of like, it's a super ability, it's, it's overpowered, but you have you can be able to counter it. It must be really hard to, to get that right. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah, I think it was quite hard to get that right, particularly with the later ones. Um, when they were first released, when the first lot of Lesherville were released, I don't think Klaus was one of the earliest ones. I think he was released later. He was, and then Boris, for example, was a really good example. He was really hard to, not say hard to balance, but he was really overpowered. Like when he was first released, the bunnies activated separately. Okay. Which was ridiculous because yeah. you summoned two bunnies and then you just you activated them first and then you just got last to activate into the turn. So it just, it was just mentally powerful because you just kill someone. Um, and if you manage to summon a, these yeah, days. I remember, I remember <laughs> playing a game where you where you I summon a jackal open two bunnies. I think you win by by turn two, and I was three activations up on my opponent, which is which is ludicrous. Um, so we had to change that pretty swiftly. Um, you can still get an activation up, obviously, if you can summon a jackalope, but it's quite hard to summon a jackalope. It's never reliably you can do it, so it's a bit risky. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was it was a similar issue with Joby because originally he came back, I think, with like energy, <laughs> um, and it was the same with the mortician. He they used to come back, um, but there are a few things within the rules that can help it stop being too powerful. For example. Every model only allowed to jog once. Yes. In a turn. So, for example, if the Goblin King activates someone twice, if they've already jogged, they can't jog again. Jog is once per turn, not once per activation. Yeah. So that helps to slow people down a little bit. That simple universal rule, um, which is something that I've forgotten a lot in the past, particularly with the Goblin King, where I've done double activation and they've jogged again, and I've realized they can't do that. Yeah, with um, Ribald and, and Fire Spitter, that can make a real difference. Yeah, it does make a big difference. Anyway, we've just crossed over the two-hour mark on this one. This is a long one. This is good. <laughs> haven't done a long yeah. one for a while. So. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. And yeah, um, I know you've got a few ideas of other ones we can do. I think we should definitely do a painting one. Um, we'll definitely do what we're doing. I, I'm, I'm, it'll be an interesting one to do a podcast on. Because no one will be able to see what we're talking about. <laughs> but I think we can. I think we can definitely talk about it. We can definitely do a nice, a nice chat about about painting. And you know, obviously, me and Paul have obviously been chatting off camera, as it were, off microphone. And we're going to try and get um, uh, Erica to join us for the painting. Erica does some of the commission painting for me, and he's a very, very good painter. Um, to join us for that one as well, so that'd be fun to have someone else talking about the painting. Um, yeah, I'd definitely, definitely love to have you. Is there anything else you, you think about wanting to talk about? Just drop me a message and we'll, and we'll arrange a time and we'll talk about it. So I'll, I'll literally talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> if it's moved to the base, I'll talk about it. So, um, yeah, cool. All That's right. Um, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, in, uh, are you an hour ahead in Switzerland? Yeah. Okay, it's quite late I, for you as I've well. I've deliberately not looked at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. For you, it'll be 11 o'clock. It's not too bad. Not too okay. bad. Um, I'm not, it's not too bad for me because I'm a teacher and I'm on holiday at the moment. So 
a late night's not a problem right now, but um, yeah, we will stop there because we have. It's been lovely to chat. Though. It's been lovely to actually do a really long podcast again and do it and do you know cover a lot of things in it. We've covered a lot. We've covered playing with family, tabletop simulator scenarios, in-person games, solo battle reports, tournaments, and playtesting, and a couple of tangents. So um, it's pretty no, good. We didn't count the tangents, did we? After, after no, I stopped. I think I think we got to about five, which is which is not too bad for the first one. Um, <laughs> tend to find the more I record with someone, the less tangents there are because we've already done those tangents in previous ones. Therefore, we don't do them again. <laughs> like when me and Joe do now, we don't. We rarely go on tangents anymore because we've always talked about that in the previous one. So that's a shame. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, cool. Well, I'm going to stop it there. So I'll, I'll for those of you who are listening, I'll, I'll stop the recording. But me and Paul will actually still be on the line. But we're going to say goodbye, and, and then yeah. Uh, uh, for those who are listening, I don't know what the next one will be because I never do. It might be the next instalment of the narrative when I finish writing it. Um, it might be something else. But um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Uh, and thanks for coming on, Paul. My wife decided to just come in and put, put loads of stuff in the bin right next to me and let loads of noise. Thanks for that, sweetheart. All right. Okay. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time.